things related to mothering. This is a community where we aim to create a comfortable space that allows for active discussion without judgment. Find us at thecuriousmother.com and follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at thecuriousmother. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Kristen Daly. And I'm Melissa Miller. Kristen, what have you been curious about? Well, Melissa, I have actually been really curious a lot about the idea of divorce. And in my clinical life, in my personal life, I've had a lot of friends who are going through struggles. And I have found that I don't think that there's a lot that people understand about the process of divorce. So... We are lucky enough today to be joined by Lindsay Easterling, and Lindsay is a collaborative divorce attorney, and she owns Easterling Law Practice. So, welcome, Lindsay. Hi. She has agreed to be quizzed about all things divorce. It's exciting and nerve-wracking because there's so much. Tell me what got. How did you get into like being a collaborative divorce attorney? Um, I practiced in a nonprofit for the first five years of my legal career, and then when I moved here to Charlotte, I started in a bigger firm, a for-profit firm, and when I saw the um, kind of focus on litigation in that firm and all of my stuff in the nonprofit was litigation, I thought, wow, there's families that have a different need, a need that they want to not go to court, they want to not draw blood in this process, mm-hmm. and that's, I saw that that's what's best for clients. Uh-huh. So people want that. There's people that need the other process too. So that's why that's there. But yeah. collaborative is something that people don't know much about. And um, I think it's really a big need in our society. So what is collaborative divorce? Um, collaborative divorce is you need both people to agree. So I've had many great conversations with my clients. This is collaborative and they're on board. And if their spouse isn't, it doesn't matter. You both have to <laughs> yeah. agree. Which must be hard when you're already in a high place of conflict, probably. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. So it does take a certain amount of maturity and selflessness to kind of say, as a person on both sides, this is scary. We're both scared. We're both going to have negative things, but let's try to do what's best for everybody, for Mm -hmm. our kids, for ourselves, even if you don't have kids for ourselves. So collaborative, you agree and sign a contract, attorneys and clients, that we are not going to court. Mm -hmm. So that allows you to give more free information. So you exchange your documents without court rules. You Mm -hmm. um, discuss things without the same court rules over you or the same court timelines. And if something happens and it goes around and you don't agree, then based on the contract, the attorneys are fired. Any attorneys or any other um, professionals you've used are fired and you have to start all over. Wow. So people are really committed to making this work. Both the attorneys yeah. and the clients are committed because the attorneys will lose their client. True. Yeah. True. So you don't want that. So you can actually go through the whole divorce process without having to go through the court system? I explained to my clients, you will never know your judge's name. You will mm-hmm. never set foot in the courthouse. There, You may at the end need a judge's signature, mm-hmm. but I put that into a bin. And <laughs> I don't even talk to them. So I put it in the judge's bin with the judge's name and yeah. they sign it sometime that week and I get it back and it's done. So this is what I've heard about collaborative divorce, and tell me if it's accurate or not. Okay. I've heard that it's less expensive, and I've heard that it is less aggressive and nasty. And faster. Okay. Great. So all of that is true, because when I have a case that's going to trial, I have so much prep work, hours and hours and hours of prep work. When I'm doing collaborative, I have that same prep work, 
but now I can do this either with my client, only one of us has to collect the documents versus I ask you 100 questions and then the other attorney asks me 100 questions. Uh We can just say, here's all the documents you need, let's all gather that together. It is really like this, we're all working for the same good. The other positive about collaborative is we hire a financial advisor if it's a high asset case. Mm -hmm. So one neutral person, they don't represent mom or dad or husband or wife, they represent the family. Give you financial options to say, you could do this and then you'll have more each month, or you could do this and it will save you in taxes, or you could do this and it kind of gives you more time to financially get settled. So to have those options yeah. that everybody's going to be okay in all of them, mm-hmm. it feels a lot better for people. Yeah, that sounds like a very big deal. Like I, I love the idea of some like neutral party being able to look into the finance piece because I think that one of the things that people are most frightened of is what happens financially when they go through divorce. And, you know, I think that especially in those scenarios where maybe only one person has been the primary earner, that can be a really difficult scenario to to know, like, is there going to be any security for me through this process? Can you talk to me a little bit about how those decisions are made? Like, how are the, how how do they try to make the financial decisions? I think that it comes from lots of different areas. I'll have people come to me and say, I'll talk to my friend and this, mm-hmm. or I talk to my mom and this, or my, a lot of times they'll talk to their CPA and this is what we need to do. So I try to do the same as this fin- neutral would do and provide them with several different options, mm-hmm. but a lot of it is education. So you're going to need this amount. Doing a budget, I know that it took me a very long time to make a budget. Yeah. To explain to somebody, let's go through your bank account and say, this is how much you spend on eating out, on getting your hair done, on vacations. This is how much it actually costs you to live. Could you cut in some of these areas or not? Mm-hmm. And what do you even need? Mm-hmm. So if you say, oh, my husband makes $5,000 a month, $10,000 a month. I need that to live. Well, could we make it less if you had different expenses? Yeah, yeah. So education. So is the financial decision just based on an ask, or is there like an equation? So child support is an equation. Okay. It's an algorithm created by the state. We punch in numbers. We punch in both parties' incomes. We punch in how many t- how many overnights you have with your kid. We put in um, health insurance costs, and then there's a section for other expenses that might be unique to your family. Okay. That then says here's child support. Okay. If you make over $350,000, it's a different process, but a lot of combined, Mm -hmm. but a lot of families, it's the algorithm. Mm -hmm. Um, Alimony is vastly different. Uh, There's not an algorithm here. There's not a calculator here that you can punch in. You can go online and find calculators, but they're not accurate Uh for North Carolina law. So um, it has to do with three things. One, are you a dependent spouse? So I am dependent. I cannot pay my bills by myself. Mm -hmm. Can my partner pay those bills if I can't? So do they have the ability? So maybe I have a need, but they can't. can't. If they pay all their bills, there's nothing left over. So they can't. So, But if those two things are met, then we have to show what's your actual need. So I'm going to give an example. I had a person who said, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of this house. I'm leaving. Uh But I know it's going to be hard to get money. She left her... Four hundred thousand square foot house, or four thousand <laughs> yeah. square foot house, yeah, and got a teeny tiny apartment 
which lowered her expenses, and she lived there for a year Uh, before she hired me. So when I'm trying to show her need and this great lifestyle that she had, she's not lived like that for a year. So when people come to me ahead of time, it's really helpful for me to say, I'm not trying to put you in debt. I'm not all for credit card debt. I'm not for spending more than you can make or more than you earn. Mm -hmm. But I am for trying to maintain the same lifestyle. There will be changes. But in this process, try not to do too many cutbacks for right now. Mm -hmm. Just for right now. And then we'll figure out those cuts later. Mm -hmm. But don't go buying Gucci Prada when you didn't. (laughs) But But don't shop at Goodwill if you didn't. Yeah. So there, you need to keep that lifestyle to show he, I have the, a need, he has the ability to pay, and I'm using those gender things, uh-huh, not uh-huh. purposefully. I have lots of cases that are the opposite. And then that um, here is the actual amount that I need. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, What might get in the way of somebody being granted alimony? An affair. Okay. okay. Do not have an affair before you're separated. Okay. Mm-hmm. Do not. If you are a dependent spouse, you will lose alimony. Okay. Unless you and your spouse are both having an affair, then it's up to the court or I always use the court. So in this whole podcast, yeah. <laughs> I might use the word if the court says or the court will do. I use that as like a beacon, like a guiding light. Even if we're never there, okay. how do I help my clients make decisions? I'll say, well, a judge is going to tell you that anyway. Okay, yeah. So why don't we just do that? It'll save you time and money. Yeah. So a judge could grant you alimony if you're both having an affair. Uh-huh. Um, if the supporting spouse has an affair, there it's supposed to be that you are automatically guaranteed alimony, but again, you still have to prove that they can pay and yeah. you have to prove that you have a need. I have a lot of clients who um, don't work, but are terrified that their husband is so angry at them or unkind and vicious that they will fight not to give alimony. Is that possible? I've had people cut people off, so they're, they find out that they're done, and now you have no bank account, you have no credit card, and you have nothing to live off of. Yeah. So if that's the person that you're married to, if that is a risk, then talking to an attorney about what the next steps are is really good. I tell people, you need if you're thinking about it, go get a credit card, see what you qualify for, because although I'm not for that, if you need food, yeah. I'd rather you be able to buy it. Yeah. Um, if you can put money away, if that you have a side job, you're selling stuff on Facebook, you're, um, I, whatever you're doing, some sort of side hustle, or if you have cash back and you have $20 every time you go to Target uh-huh. and it's in an account, at least you have something yeah. if that's a risk. Or you'll hear lots of people, hey, my spouse went and saw an attorney and they took out half of my bank account. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can do that. You're entitled to half, but... When you're living out of a bank account and there's bills that are about to hit, that yes. is a stressful time. Yeah. So the collaborative process or even – I still have clients do that. I, I, I have. But yeah. there are times that I can help families before they've even separated, before they've even done that. We're talking about what this next transition looks like. So, yes, is that a risk? Absolutely. Are there people and attorneys that would say, go do it right now? Yeah. There's even scenarios where I've said you have like, – it's not safe. You need yeah. to get out. Get half the money. Yeah, yeah. So, can we talk a little bit about? Um, I and I, I should also say, every state is different. Correct. And, okay. So we're going to be talking a lot about North Carolina, but we encourage everybody to figure out what their state laws are. Correct. Every law is different. Even every county in North Carolina has different local rules. So, if your sister got divorced in 
Union County and you're in Iredale County, there's going to be different rules. Um, So the law is the same, but how you get to the end result in different counties is different. But I'm I'm licensed to practice in Michigan and North Carolina to learn the differences and to really get, like, to be knowledgeable in North Carolina. It takes a lot. It's so different. It's so different. So don't talk to your sister and your cousin in New York and Cal. Like, it's just different. Do they, like, do people ever county hop because they are seeking out different rules? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> Can you do that? <laughs> so you have to have connection to that county. You can't just pick a county. But <laughs> I, it is faster in some ta- in some counties to get in front of a judge. So if it's an emergency situation, and I have mom that lives in Mecklenburg and dad that lives in Union County, it's faster to get a hearing date in Mecklenburg County. The original hearing date, a trial date, like the end, maybe not. not. Yeah. But Union County, it takes a long time. They're really backlogged. It's just, it used to be a small little country town yeah. and now it's just booming that's so funny because i would have thought like yeah the smaller the county the faster it would go but okay yep. but it's based on resources yeah yeah interesting so the judges are just as um great in both counties they give you fair and um, good results and they are knowledgeable in the law but their processes and scheduling processes are different mm-hmm. so so let's back it up to the very beginning let's yeah. say that there's a mom listening to this and she is really getting close to feeling like the marriage is not going to be resolved. What do you suggest she do? I think the first thing is an education, which a lot of people will look at things online. I think that's a great place to start. Um, You can even find 10 things to ask your attorney when you meet with them. I think that's a really good thing. There's several different options, but you should go to an attorney. You should Mm -hmm. seek a consultation. Can I ask a quick question? Yes. Should you do this without your partner knowing? I think it depends on your partner and it depends on your situation. I have worked with people where they're paying cash for their consultation, or we've strategically talked about, I'm going to email you, um, can I email you with this email? Mm-hmm. Is your email uh, something that's on the iCloud? These things that you've talked about if your spouse shouldn't know. Yeah. Um, and maybe that will set someone off. Maybe you're doing really good in counseling, but you just need, as I'm making sure I want to put more effort in this therapy, mm-hmm. I need to know what my other option is. Is the grass greener? I have a lot of people that will consult with me. And they're like, that's when you needed to know. I'm staying. Like, yeah. I'm not leaving. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I think they have, they really should seek a, a, a consultation with an attorney. Mm-hmm. But don't just hire because you've consulted with them. If you feel like it's not a fit, go to somebody else. If people come to my office and they're like, I am so done. He has hurt me so bad. I am going to, this is going to be, I'm going for blood. Yeah. It was so nice to meet you. Here's a list of other attorneys you should talk to because that's not me and you're going to be upset. Mm-hmm. I'm not a pit bull. I will advocate to you for you so strongly, but I'm going to keep going back to reason and keep going back to what's best for you mentally and financially, not how do we just hurt them. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. How do people kind of work through... So it sounds like speaking to an attorney early is good. Mm-hmm. And then one of the things that I feel like I've seen is that obviously the divorce process is so emotional. And I think that the hard part is, is that when our emotions are really heightened, we sometimes make impulsive decisions that we wish we could take back. And I always feel like maybe that's obviously the role of the attorney to try to help keep you from doing that. Mm -hmm. But do you have any kind of guidelines for how people try to get rational in such a big emotional process? 
Um, I try to tell every person that walks in my door, I'm gonna, I'll say, I'm going to ask you a question, and it's not because I think you're crazy after talking to us. It's because I say this to everyone, but do you have a counselor? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is going to be possibly one of the diff- most difficult things you've ever been through in your whole life. Up there with death of a parent, death of a child, like so, it is a traumatic experience. I have zero tools to talk to you about that as an attorney. I have experience and I can give you that, but then you'll dump on me and I'll say, that's really, you're right. <laughs> yeah. And that's it. That's what I have. <laughs> so uh, to get support from a therapist mm-hmm. is huge because there's a lot to process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I try to, um, with the experience that I have, it is not mental health experience, it's just life experience as a divorce attorney, is to try to say, you've come to my office and you've started this process probably two years ago in your brain. Mm-hmm. You've started the grief process. You've been through those waves of different emotions. Your spouse is about to get rocked. They had mm-hmm. no idea. Yeah. Or you're in my office. You found out yesterday that your spouse is having an affair or that your spouse saw an attorney and you had no idea. So though, like to just bring it back to everybody's in a different path in this process. Either you just found out about it, you've been processing it for years, it's going to be different for each person, and you have to understand that when we're negotiating. Remember which chair your spouse is in. Remember what process they're in. Yeah. Um, so that's I don't I do bring it back a lot, but I hold them accountable. Yeah. You know you're throwing this away. Yeah. Let's sign a piece of paper so that I'm not getting in trouble. You're entitled to this. Yeah. Um, giving them life examples of other clients of other things I've seen mm-hmm. has been helpful. Yeah. Say she said she wanted this, and now she's called me, and she regrets it so much. Yeah. What are some things that that people should try to hold their ground for versus what is stuff that can get kind of petty? I think that alimony is something that to give up. I think that people don't understand what that actually means. Yeah. So some people, some women particularly, would say. I'm going to start a job. I'm going to be okay. I'm yeah. a survivor. I'm a, I'm a strong woman. I'm going to figure it out. You're right. You are. And I'm not negating that. But he's been in this job for 15 years. You're just starting. Your salary is a quarter of that. Yeah. And your growth potential is different. So educating them on like real growth, real earning, here's the money, even showing this, so you make $40,000 you actually don't get that. Yeah. There's taxes yeah, yeah. and there's insurance and there's other things that come out. Here's what you actually have. So you know your bills kind of. Mm-hmm. Here's what you take home. Now what? Mm-hmm. Oh, I probably do need more. Yeah, yeah. And when your kids turn 18, there goes child support. So maybe you do need alimony after that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's one. Child custody... Um, the courts really are leaning more towards 50-50 if it's two healthy, capable, interested parents. Yeah. That's a lot of what's happening. Mm-hmm. But stand your ground if your kids aren't safe. Yeah. Stand your ground if there's substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of protections we can put into an agreement. They have to take breathalyzer every time they're with the kids, every three hours to make sure they're not drinking. Yeah. Um, take urine tests to make sure they're not using drugs. If that's an issue, put it in there, even if it's temporary mm-hmm. so that you have the peace of mind. And then if it is true, if your suspicions are real or if he, he or she is using again, 
you have documented proof and your kids can be okay. Yeah. Some people yeah. are like, well, it's 50-50, so I just have to. Wait a second. You do if it's safe, if it's healthy, if it's good. Yeah. So I, don't, I think some people think there's no, how do I make sure, how do I know if he's drinking? How do I know if she's smoking? How, how do I know? Yeah, yeah. We can do that. We can put that in there. Yeah. No, I think those are really good points because I think that sometimes... Um, knowing like where I work from like the family perspective, I will have parents who will see the shortcomings in their former partner and say, you know, we kind of do this dance of how much can you protect the kid from the shortcomings versus how much is it they're going to have to learn how to protect themselves. But I think that the substance use is a really good example. Like that's measurable, you know, and so it doesn't, a kid doesn't have to be exposed to that. One of the fun, funny, I'm not sure if that's the appropriate terminology to use, <laughs> but one of the things that I've heard a judge say here in North Carolina was a mom was really upset because dad wasn't feeding the child the foods that she would choose. Yeah. And the judge's example, and this I don't think was what the dad did, but she said, I don't care if he feeds this kid Snickers bars for dinner. He needs a relationship with his dad, and his dad is good, and his dad cares about him. And maybe life gets away from you sometimes, and you need to learn those things. But we got to give dad an opportunity to try. Yeah. He wants to. He's capable. Maybe we need to teach him those things. Yeah. How to grocery shop. How to discipline. Maybe there's some classes they need to take. But it when it's really hard when you've been the parent, and then there's then the working parent when that's your role and to have that role change it's huge that's why therapy is so important because now it's this identity crisis yes within this safety issue within this finite like there's so much yeah there's so much yeah but courts and, and dads are important moms yeah. are important that relationship for kids is important so how do we make sure they're going to be okay maybe it's provisions that are tests or things maybe it's just educating Here's what they like to eat. Here's what their bedtime routine yeah. looks like. I'm going to write this down for you. Yeah. With the 50-50, that doesn't always mean they're spending exactly half the time at each person's house, right? No. How is it decided? And do you decide that during the process of what living arrangements are going to be? Yes. I have five spreadsheets for 50-50, and they're all different. Oh, so wow. I show clients, you want 50-50. Pick your poison. <laughs> Which one would you like? What are? Tell me more um, about that. So yeah. there's week on, week off. Okay. One week at mom's house, one week at dad's house. Then you have to figure out what's your exchange day. Uh-huh. Some people prefer it to be a Sunday night so that they are starting the week there. We, I'm in a blended family. We have ours Monday. So when we get our daughter, she is starting the school week with us. We have this whole pattern all week. And then we have the fun weekend where we're already all in the same kind of process and then Monday she goes back to mom's house. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that's one option. Um, another option would be one parent has Monday, Tuesday. The next parent has Wednesday, Thursday. So every Monday, Tuesday with one, every Wednesday, Thursday, and then they rotate weekends. Yes. So then the weekends are changed. Um, there's other ones, two, two, three. So that's that's kind of like that, two, two, three. That's how yeah. I'll say that. Then there's um, five, two, two. Yeah. So you have five days, and then you'll switch the two. It's yeah. There's all different ways to do it, and then there's I'll have them every other weekend through the school year and long weekends, and then I'll have them most of the summer, mm-hmm. so that, that can work with someone's schedule. Um, 
I have a couple of families that they do 50-50 and with their work schedule they travel a lot so they decide how that 50-50 is on the 15th of the month that's coming up. Coming up, yeah. Because they have to say, here's the days I'm traveling, so I cannot have the kids these days. Can you? Uh Uh-huh. And then I'll take the next, the leftover 15. Oh, my gosh. What? (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) I I feel like I have a lot of friends who have the Mm 223, and that, to me, seems unbelievably confusing. But I guess, like, they feel like if they know every Monday and Tuesday I'm responsible for the after-school activities, like, that makes their lives feel more predictable. Yeah. Whereas I feel like I just think that that would be so hard to have so much flipping around. Well, and even for a parent that all, that's working, too, to know that I at least have a certain day, certain days that I can have a late work day yes. where I can schedule evening yeah. things that I know ahead of time. But our term in our house, and I tell my clients that, is if you're working together, it all comes out in the wash. Uh-huh. So there might be days that we have to kind of switch and kind of finagle things around, but we, we're going to see our kid about 50% of the yeah. time. Yeah. So when it matters is if someone's going to be very meticulous. When it matters is if someone's really not having them 50% of the time and they're always dumping them off on you mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. you're dumping them off on the Keep track of that if you need to, if you feel like this is going to be a persistent issue. And then child support. So I talked about child support being an algorithm. If you have your child less than 123 nights a year, child support goes into a different algorithm. It's Uh, the same, like the same numbers, I guess, but it's called worksheet A and worksheet B. Okay. Providing all this legal advice. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But the worksheet B is a lesser amount of support. That means that they'll split more things. They'll split more costs that are included. That kind of, it's funny because like one family I know, one of the parents is very concerned about if they give up a day, when they're going to get that day back. And I wonder if they have in their head, they've got to maintain that certain number because it seemed like I've always never really understood the rigidity of like, no, if I can't give you Tuesday unless you're going to give me another day. And so I wonder if some of that is driven by keeping so so many nights. Yeah. And I think a lot of times that because when they're talking to me as an attorney, there's so much information. I'll tell them in my consultations, you have a consultation, it's an hour, and you're going to leave and 20 minutes later say, I forgot this, yes. or I did not understand that, and I just kept going. And I tell them, email me. You get one email included with your consultation to ask me questions within yeah. 48 hours because I know there's going to be more. Yeah. I say that to say, when I explain this whole 123 overnights and all this child support gobbledygook, they're two years later thinking... I know there's a number, and I know there's a certain amount of days, and I know it's important, yeah. so I just can't lose my days. Yeah. So I feel like sometimes if they just sat back and either had a little bit more knowledge, mm-hmm. it wouldn't have to be that rigid. No, because, I, I mean, I think the thing is, is if you're doing 50-50, then that should loosely shake out to 180. So it really yeah. means you got about 60 days of flexibility. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Is 50-50 the same thing as joint custody? It can be joint custody either way. So there's two types of custody. There's legal and there's physical. Okay. Legal custody is big decisions. So where they're going to school, if they're going to be raised in a religion and what that looks like, and then um, medical decisions. So, um, and I said where they're going to school, that's also 504 plans, IEP. So educational decisions, medical decisions, and religious decisions. If you have joint, then you need to work together on those major decisions. Okay. Joint legal. If you have sole legal, 
the court still says you should talk to your spouse about it. And if you can't agree, then somebody has the final decision on those things. I've seen judges split it. I was going to say, I feel like I had no families where mm-hmm. they have one of those or two of those. A yeah. lot of times if they can't co-parent really well or something's more important to one than the other, um, they'll say, you get this and you get this. I had one case where the judge was like, you get medical and um, religion and you get education and haircuts. <laughs> so like that, it was this crazy thing, but that's how the judge divided oh, I totally could like, get that. I think I would be fighting for a haircut custody. <laughs> so it was so bizarre, but I, was, I did not see that coming when she said yeah. it, but truly that's how she divided the like yeah. responsibility and decision making. So then the other is physical custody. So I a lot of times say that it's joint, even when it's less than 123 overnights, because they're jointly taking care of this kid, these yeah. kids. Um, but if it's sole physical custody, a lot of times that means that there's either minimal visitation, supervised visitation, or the person is not really even in the picture. Okay. So, but joint, when you say, I have to have joint custody or I have to have sole custody, it's, that's more like the terminology. It's the, in the details that really yeah. matter. Other than legal, legal custody really does. Either you're working together or you got the final say. How, how do people decide who moves out? That is the million-dollar question. (laughs) It really is. So um, the moving out is something that I would love to have all of my clients come to me first. Yeah. It would be, that would be like the perfect world where they come to me, Miss Easterling, I really got to figure this out. Then we can figure out finances. Where could you even afford to move? Yeah. How do we talk about school districts? Someone needs to stay in the schools at least one address especially here in our counties Mm -hmm. they're very strict about being in that district because if you're not you're not getting in the school you're out even mid-year wow so um how do we decide sometimes it's just a safety plan okay you gotta go yeah other times it's a frustration and someone comes to me i'm like all right i guess we gotta fix this so you're 20 minutes from your kids how are we gonna do the custody that you thought yeah so it's not there's not an algorithm. Uh-huh. There's not a calculation. It's what can you afford as a family, and if somebody takes a, I have a case right now where somebody got an apartment that's so expensive, and it's three bedrooms, and there's only a parent and a kid, uh-huh. so uh-huh. now it's a crazy expensive cost. Uh-huh. That affects now ability to pay alimony. Uh-huh. That affects all of the finances for everybody, uh-huh. and. I feel like it was a bad move, but they didn't talk to anybody before. Yeah. So yeah. even if you're not ready to work with your spouse or your spouse isn't ready to work with you, if you want to move out or want to discuss that or figure that out, you should consult with an attorney yeah. just to see the ramifications of that. Yeah. I heard this rumor that if someone who is maybe not working moves out, um, that that can be considered abandonment of Property? Yes and no. I'm sure there are firms that would pursue abandonment. I'm sure there are. I don't always do that. I've had it in certain cases very, 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 very rarely. My abandonment cases are usually the supporting spouse, the earning spouse, moves out and gives them no money. Yeah. So now you have effectively abandoned this person. Okay. They have nothing. They have, they have this house and this mortgage or this rent and all these other expenses and they have nothing. So, or you come home and your house is empty because the movers came while you were at work. Oh so that would be my, let's, it's okay. worth it to pursue abandonment. Uh-huh. 
if a dependent spouse moves out because they have to, the, the court is going to not, I don't believe that, there's probably scenarios, so I can't say like for certain, Yeah. but I have had many cases where they just move out and then we start the conversation of what am I going to get out of this house? I tell I can tell you it's harder to get stuff out once you've left it. Yeah. It's that, what, what, what's the phrase, like possession is half. Nine, the, yeah, yeah, possession is nine-tenths of the lot. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. That's not true, true, <laughs> but for a while, until we have a decision as to what you're going to get and how that's going to be divided, yeah. you might have your mom's dresser still at the house and she's not letting you back in right. or he's not letting you back in. So yeah. that's something to think about before you make that decision. I hear a lot also of women who are panicked because their name is not on the title of the house, on their cars. They fear that they are not entitled to... of these things because their name's not on it. So name matters in only certain scenarios of what your name is on. If it was purchased during the marriage or money earned during the marriage, it is marital property. Unless it's started out as premarital. So I've had... um, Someone had a 401k that they earned during their... or before they got married. They got married, got pregnant right away, and they stopped working. Uh That's... Don't put his name on that. Please don't put his name on that. Yeah. Because that's yours from before the marriage. Same with an inheritance. Your uncle passes away and you get $200,000. Put it in a separate account. Keep it in your name because that's separate property. Okay. But things like the house, the car, the bank account, all of that was earned during the marriage or purchased during the marriage. That's marital it, it is. That's mm-hmm. marital. So that's that's something you could get a portion of, half of. And I tell people, they'll come to my office and say, so I'm getting half of this and half of this. It's not half of every little thing. It's half of the whole picture. So uh-huh. I'm here in the office using my circular hand. I'm putting my hand in a circle to say, yeah. like, I make a pot kind of symbol to say everything goes in this marital pot if it's marital. And then we divide that in half. Mm-hmm. So the whole is divided in half. So is it better to get the house? and less retirement or is it better to get more cash we'll talk about that yeah but yeah if it's not in your name it's still marital property it's still divisible property okay yeah so. it was really interesting when I formed my business partnership we had to go through this whole process of what happens in the business should because both myself and my business partner are married so like there's like we already have legal paperwork of if somebody gets a divorce how does that play out for the business? Which was just, it was fascinating for me to go through that because I was like, not even thinking about the idea that really because it happened as a part, like we're already married going into forming the business, technically they have a right to the business, which is just, it was just a very odd thing to go through. That's a huge issue here, especially in the Charlotte area. I feel like there's so many entrepreneurs, whether it's a home staging business or Um, a Rodan and Fields or whatever it is like whatever type of business you have if you started it and it started earning money during your marriage that's a business interest that is marital yeah so some people will be like I started this real estate business it's doing great I I can finally leave (laughs) yes yeah you can that's so great but we're gonna have to talk about how much your business is worth what? Yes. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah we do. You said something earlier that I found very interesting. You said some people come consult with you and then they go, oh, I'm staying. What are the things that kind of make people decide it's not worth it? Um, 
I think when they really do hear that it is 50-50 custody, I mean, 20 years ago, it was moms get kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moms get kids, get, dads get every other weekend. That's just how it was. And it isn't that anymore. So I think the fact um, of really sitting down and saying, you are going to have to think about seeing your kids every other Christmas. You're going to see your children 50% of the time. That means you don't put them to bed 50% of the time. That means you don't give them a bath. And I promise you, I don't do this like, woe is me this whole time. I'm not trying to scare them away from it. But like the reality of that is hard. Um, Some people will say, I'm I'm glad I met with you. I learned so much. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing or I'm going to change, kind of tweak what I'm doing. But I'm really not going to do it until my kids are done with school. Yeah. Um, I think there's some situations where that's okay, but my um, the, the pitch that I always give is some people think that's what's best for their kids, but it's actually not. Yeah. And um, their kids can see this resilience. Your kids can see what's not a healthy relationship. Your kids can see this building yourself back up. Your kids can, a lot of times they'll say, my kid will say, thank you, mom. Yes. Thank you, dad. I like I've been praying for this or I've been hoping for this. I knew you guys should get a divorce. Yeah. They're like, what? I had no clue. They know. Yeah. They know. Yeah. So other people, um <clears throat> I have someone that's waiting they'll wait for an inheritance. Like I know that my that so and so sick and I'll be okay as soon as that happens. It could be two years, two months, five years, I don't know. Yeah. But they're all making their decisions for themselves. So that's one of the things that I did some training in my um um, at the beginning, discernment. Uh-huh. I've heard discernment counseling. Yeah. So for me, I had read and like did some, uh, I don't know, training, but not officially training, training on my own. I was like, I'm not going to tell anyone they should this. They yeah. should get a divorce. You should leave. Make your own decision because I don't want you to ever be able to blame me. Yeah. Um, but I also want you to be to own it. Like, this is your decision. So come into my office, learn everything that you want to, and then choose. And I'll support you, whatever that is. Especially with... Um, domestic violence and mm. um, that was what I did a lot in Michigan 6.8 times they try to leave that's the average oh, wow. so they leave and they go back and they leave and they go back and as a friend or a family member or an attorney if you don't know that that's so frustrating because you're like why are they going back yeah it's part of the process it's yeah. part of the cycle and to just educate them to say whatever you do I'm here mm-hmm. call me in six months I will not say I told you so I will not say you should have, would have, could have. I don't care. Just come back if you want to when you're ready. Because I feel like that's huge, too, for them to know that it's in their control in every situation. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've been, like, deepening my training in couples therapy. And what is what the way that couples therapists sometimes are benchmarked is based on how many marriages they save. And I think that there, one of the books I was reading recently was talking about how that's really a very poor way to benchmark the work of a therapist. Because if you have a couple who should not be together, your goal should not keeping should not be keeping them together. <laughs> you know? We shouldn't be looking at the idea because if you have people who really are acrimonious, and it goes back to like people often think divorce wounds kids, but. If you have two people who really don't get along, that is going to be more wounding for the kids than watching them actually pursue healthy relationships. And that's what I often will tell my folks I'm working with is, like, you want your kid's template for what a marriage looks like to be 
what you know a marriage should be. And if you know you're just going through the motions or even worse, you guys are hating on each other, that's not a great modeling. It's not going to create health for your kids. I think when people can step back and think, like, I'm going to be a healthier me yeah. when I'm out of this, and even if I'm only with my kids 50 60% of the time, I'm a healthier me during that time. Yeah. And he or she might even be healthier out of that process, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So... Um, I've seen that and if they both really do or even just one of them does really get deep work in therapy It's so good. It changes yeah. so much and the kids too. the kids need counseling or therapy or support in some way um, I have certain things to hear I have a from a different therapist Here's the things to, to talk about with your children uh-huh. So I think when people have that they're like, what do I even say? I don't know that I can do this because I have to tell my kids. Yes, here's some options Here's yeah. some things you t- could talk to them yeah. about um, or talk to a psych- child psychologist yourself. Go meet with one. Yes. Say, I have a kid, and here's who they are, because I think each kid is going to receive it different. I've got a really emotional kid in my house, and I've got one that's more, like, straightforward. So uh, it, each kid I would probably talk to differently if that's what I was facing. Yeah. So. And I guess I, one of the, the last things that I've heard is it is really unfair for married folks to say, I would be happy with a week on, week off. You get a whole week off from your kids. So <laughs> I think that it's it's really, it's one thing when you're thinking, oh, I get a break from my kids. It's a whole other thing when you have no choice about whether or not you're spending a holiday with your kid. And I think that that's one place where we could do a better job being empathetic. Yes. I know some parents that are in this, even if it's week on, week off, or especially if it's more than that, the person that has them more than that is now a single parent yes. that I think because it's not maybe by choice like they chose it or they feel like they chose it they have this single parent guilt yes or this um oh my gosh I have to do it all I have to make up for this destruction of my marriage like I'm I'm not all for that so that's where you ladies (laughs) I'm not all for that um but I I think that's huge too to understand and educate moms too you're gonna need a break yeah you're gonna need a break so to say, I'll just take them all the time and I'll just figure it out. No. Yeah. You're going to need some time for you. Yeah. Especially if it's safe. Like, take take some time for you. And then um, not to truly separate. I think that's one of the other things that I think is important to say. We're going to truly, truly separate. Because sometimes people will be like, well, I scheduled this and I did this and I did that. And I did... Whoa. They're the other parent. They have to pick up the slack like you both have to make some changes you can't just do it all yeah so we'll still share the bills and we'll still share this so we're going to be peaceful peaceful doesn't mean you still have to be connected yeah amicable doesn't mean you're still kind of sort of married yeah you can be completely separate amicably nice so i feel like that's don't feel pressured to be so peaceful well, <laughs> Lindsay, I feel like we could probably talk to you forever and get tons of free time. <laughs> yes. But we really want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much. It was great. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Curious Mother. If you liked what you heard, the greatest compliment would be to share this with your community of moms and to give us a great rating on iTunes. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother and check out our bios and resources at thecuriousmother.com. Thanks for listening.